Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And we are your co-hosts. And this week, in a very special Sabbath episode, I am talking about Imbolc and other February pagan holidays from other traditions. Ooh, February. Um, February. (laughs) I'm going to be covering a fabulous flower beloved by grandmas the world over, violets. And I'm also going to cover Bridget because somehow we haven't done that yet. Like I know we've talked about her in our Imbolc segment last year, but this is one of those where when Nick and I were going through and like doing episode planning, we were just like, well, surely we've already covered her. No? What? (laughs) So it's about time. Well, here here she comes. And it's like such a perfect pairing, like Imbolc, Bridget, we're here. Violet, you're turning Violet, Violet. (laughs) Violet Beauregard, truly an icon. I'm really excited though to talk about violets today. Um, Not only are they gorgeous, but they actually have really awesome medicinal uses as well. And there are actually 650 species that fall into the viola genus and they can be found all over the world, but they're at their happiest in temperate climates, kind of moist, not super hot. Um, they, there are even violets that have been introduced and are now like naturalized and growing in Australia, which is like, they can grow everywhere pretty much. The European sweet violet, which is V. odorata and the heartsease V. tricolor are the ones that you'll most often see listed in herbalism sources, especially stuff coming out of like Europe. Um, but there are also a few American species with historical herbar- herbal uses like the marsh blue violet, which is V. cuckolate, which kind of sounds like cuckolding. Um, common blue violet, which is V. sororia, birdfoot violet, V. pedate, and American dog violet, which is V. labradorica. And now I really want someone to like name a labrador violet and let me be friends with that dog. Uh, that's uh, coming soon. Right. Like, like <laughs> let me just, like, I, I'm still trying to find a way for my roommate to let me get a dog and think it's his idea. I think this this is a valid quest and it will happen. It's going to happen. So Viola, the genus name, comes from the Latin form of ion, which is Greek, the Greek word for violet. We do get a bit etymologically circular with this naming convention. Um, And you may have guessed already, but ion comes from Io. And have we talked about this nymph before? So quick recap, because I think we also ended up talking about her last week. Uh, Io the nymph had an affair with Zeus and Hera found out. To keep Hera from finding Io, Zeus turned Io into a cow. And when he did that, he also made sure Violet sprouted from the ground whenever she walked to keep her fed. And uh, then he named the plant after her, which is like Zeus romance, like the height of it, really. so, I always, I, I'm like swooning. I'm literally right. swooning. Oh, you like, turned me into a cow and made sure I need <laughs> violets. Oh, truly Fabio over here. Io is also though where we get the word ionone, which is a chemical in violets that gives them their very like distinct sweet scent. And they think that's part of what causes some of the like herbal benefits. And Athenians were like super big fans of this plant and they used it to help people sleep. And they also used it for like strengthening the heart and soothing anger. You'll hear a lot about us talking about the heart in herbalism with this. And it's one of those times where it's like, specifically like the metaphorical heart center as opposed to the organ the heart 
typically in this case. Uh, Our buddy Nicholas Culpepper also wrote about the little plant describing how he used it to treat all sorts of inflammatory reactions, including things like headaches. And some of you might also be familiar with Elizabeth Elizabeth I's love of candied violets, which contributed to her teeth turning black and nearly rotting out of her head. The good news for her was though that during that time, it was actually a marker of wealth to be able to afford sweets. So her like rotted mouth was a status symbol very different time. And most violets are low growing annuals or perennials. I think a lot of us are familiar with these. The leaves are pretty diverse in shape, but the majority are either heart shaped or kidney shaped and they have cleistogamous and chasmogamous flowers. So cleistogamous flowers are like non-opening, um, self-pollinating and then chasmogamous, sorry, this the words here are a little hard, um, are like the showier open flowers that are pollinated by insect friends. So typically when you're looking at a violet, the petals have veins of darker colors near the center of the flower and the petals are bearded a lot of times with like little hairs at their base and the flowers have five petals. So there are four arranged in pairs with the fifth extending back into a spur. And the Cleistogamous flowers are interesting because they often actually grow underground or like super, super low to the ground. And they release seeds like right back into the soil or on the surface, which I think is super interesting and very efficient. I'm, I'm like, that's a super smart evolutionary like step, right? So if you want to rot your teeth out like a historical queen, Growing these is really straightforward, which is lucky for you. You can plant them essentially any time of the year, as long as it's not an Arctic tundra outside. I actually just planted a bunch of seeds for uh, Viola tricolor, which are also referred to as like Johnny Jump Up is one of the names you'll see them listed as. They're the ones that are like purple and yellow. And once they're established, they actually don't need a lot of care. The flowering can kind of slow down with older plants, but the good news is it's super easily fixed if you just kind of dig them up, divide them at the roots and then replant them. It gives them like, they they get invigorated and it's like a second shot at life for them. So they're going to do best in full sun or even like partial shade, especially if you live somewhere warmer and fertile soil with like a lot of organic matter. This is not something you're going to plant right next to your rosemary. It actually does need that like richness. You are growing it primarily for the flowers, remember. And you can also grow them under shrubs. Like if the shrubs aren't too thick, think something that'll like cast light shade, but not total darkness because some shrubs are taller and they have that like ugly empty space underneath. Why not put flowers there? Some species do need a stratification period, which is like a cold period. So if you have a a flower that's going to require that, you're going to want to plant the seeds in the fall. But if they don't require stratification, you can sow them in the spring. Or like me, I literally planted them yesterday. So I should have them by like, April, probably I'll have flowers. You can divide them if you're going to like dig them up, divide and replant. You're going to want to do that in either autumn or spring, but you can also propagate them from cuttings, which I think is super cool. And if you want to try that, I think uh, summertime is the best time to try and propagate by cuttings. So you can get them in the ground in the fall. Uh, A bit of caution. So there are some wild species that are considered endangered. So be careful if you're foraging for them and make sure to research any restrictions in your area before you go collecting like wildflowers or wild plants in general. But a lot of people do forage for violets. Purple and blue violets are more common anyway. So it's like better ecologically to stick to them. And a lot of foragers say that violets with yellow flowers are not the ones to go for because they can give you a tummy ache. So 
again, be really careful. Make sure you have like an identification book if you're going to be wild foraging and just like make sure you look at your local rules and regulations. But in plenty of the country, you can forage for wild violets, which I think sounds absolutely lovely. I want to go to the woods and forage. I'm like, I want to make some crimmed violet with foraged violets. (sighs) Right. God, it sounds so good. So let's talk about the herbal uses of these little sweeties. Um, Again, I'm not a doctor. Nick's not a doctor. This is not intended to treat or diagnose anything. Always talk to your primary medical physician before you start any sort of regimen, whether it's vitamins or taking plants medicinally. So I also need to add here, if you have, it's a pretty rare genetic disorder, but if you have glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase deficiency, you should not consume violets because they can aggravate hemolytic anemia. So there is like a very specific warning here if you have that disorder. Again, it's really rare, so you probably don't. But if you do, you know it. Don't eat violets. Some people also find that eating them raw can cause like a slight burning sensation in their throat afterwards, especially the uncooked stems. And some people that have that say it's like more intense with some species than others. So If you want to add some to your diet, like maybe try out a few species before you settle on like the one that's going to be your plant you grow to see what works best for you. But the medicinal value is in the aerial parts, like the flowers and leaves. The roots are emetic and are poisonous to people, so don't eat them. But in the summer, they're going to be at their showiest, and that's the time to harvest your plant material. If you want to use like the leaves in a salad, you want to opt for younger plants. I think that's pretty common with most greens, right? They're going to be a little bit more tender, a little less like chewy when they're younger, but you can totally use older leaves for like cooking them or even just like throwing them in a smoothie. And if you're going to use the leaves medicinally though, like making teas and stuff, just wait until the leaves are bigger because you don't need them to be super tender. And that's just like logical. You have more plant material when they're bigger. So the violets are cooling and moistening and have a very impressive list of actions, including their alterative, anti-inflammatory, antimicrobial, antioxidant, demulsant, diuretic, expectorant, lymphatic, nervine, and nutritive. So they do a lot. I've talked before about the doctrine of familiars and the way the stems and branches grow actually kind of show us that these are good for lung issues because they do look kind of like bronchial branches when they're growing up right and they also have like kidney shaped leaves or heart shaped leaves and if they're like diuretics and good for the lymphatic system the kidney shaped leaves there's a good connection for the nervine stuff the heart shaped is a really good indicator as well i just i love the doctrine of familiars but specifically the way like they look like bronchioles as they're growing um their use for lung issues is really cool because that also kind of ties into the cool damp areas that they like to grow right so they're really good for things like bronchitis super damp conditions in the lungs and you can make a violet leaf tea to help with bronchitis and it'll work as an expectorant to help you like get the phlegm moving out but The awesome thing about violets is they're not just an expectorant. Like it's also demulcent, which is moistening. So you can also use it for things like asthma, hoarseness, and even like whooping cough. For drier issues, you want to make a syrup with it though. And there have even been some actual like research trials that show that violet syrup is clinically effective at treating coughs in kids. Like they gave them a placebo, a medical like over-the-counter one and a violet syrup and the violet syrup and the medical one worked just as well. And like both had similar results that were better than the placebo. 
And really interestingly in this one, it shows that like violet syrup is more effective in younger children, which is really interesting. And it's not a surprise given how antimicrobial and antibacterial and anti-inflammatory, it's great for skin, you know, things like eczema, psoriasis, even cradle cap, like violets seem to be a really good one to have around if you've got little ones. And for skin issues, you can use it internally or topically. Because of its lymphatic actions, some herbalists also use it to treat things like swollen glands, like fibrocystic breasts, and it's gentle enough that it's not as likely to cause headaches, which you can get with some stronger lymphatics. Um, I should add too that violets are often listed as like a cancer support like herb. Again, I think especially with cancer, Nick and I are big both and proponents, but- oh yeah you know, with your doctor discuss it because a lot of people do find that like that anti-inflammatory stuff can be really helpful because it's a lymphatic too, like specifically in conditions like breast cancer, you know, if your treatment protocol allows for it, you know, maybe adding some of this in like some violet leaf tea, not as a standalone treatment, but as a supportive thing. It also does have a lot of nutrients in it, which I know when my Nana was going through cancer treatment, like your entire body gets so thrown out of whack that like your nutritional deficiencies are really all over the place. So sometimes like nice, gentle, nutritive herb teas can be really helpful. But again, like talk to your doctor, especially with cancer stuff. Like it's, we're not saying like, don't fucking Steve Jobs yourself. Like, yeah, like this is not, this is not the Joe Rogan podcast. Like, yeah, exactly. um... But you know, it could be a nice support thing. So well, and and I I also feel like with stuff like that you know where it's like it's this anti-inflammatory like it makes sense you know it's like turmeric like yeah. you're you're not going to cure cancer by taking turmeric absolutely not but if you can add something which is easy to add into your diet like an herbal tea or like an infusion of this type like it can help yeah, exactly. Like, it can help. It can, it can help. It can help slow things down. Yeah. These are like, you know, it's like, but it's, it's like, we're not, uh, again, like, you know, like, this is not the Joe Rogan podcast. We're not like, oh, no, do not listen to your doctor because violets are going to cure cancer. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, fuck that. But I did for my, um, for the, the herbalism, like workshop, I, I hosted for planning your 2022 witch's garden at the end, I included an herbal grimoire for eight plants to have in your garden that basically cover all sorts of common health stuff and also cover you for all the sabbats and really common witchy stuff. And violets were like the flower that I included because they are so useful. So V tricolor, which is the one I had just planted, has also been used to treat arthritis though for that like anti-inflammatory effect. And this species also has antioxidant properties. That's the one I'm gonna be growing. It's really common in the US and really easy to grow. And V tricolor is also super helpful if you suffer from insomnia because it's one of the plants that helps improve your quality of sleep. It's not just gonna like knock you out. It's gonna help you like sleep deeper, which is really important because if you're not sleeping well, it raises your cortisol levels and cortisol and melatonin use the same channel in your brain. So when you're really stressed, it's really hard for you to go to sleep and it can like create this vicious, vicious like cycle. So getting enough sleep is just like one part of the equation. You can sleep all day, but if it's not quality sleep, 
you're not actually helping yourself. So again, the heart-shaped leaves also like put its nervine properties on display since it's useful for soothing emotions. So they're really well known for their ability to like lift and soothe the heart and spirit of people that are dealing with like grief and heartache, but it can also help like dampen the fires of anger. This is a really sweet, gentle nervine that's just going to help support your whole system, really soothing. Um, I could go on all day, but like I'm going to stop here. Violets are impressive medicinally. Again, they're one of like the eight herbs. I think if you could have an herb garden and just plant like eight things that are going to cover you for everything, I would include violets. So let's get into the magic. I feel like it's not new, not too surprising. Violets are associated with Venus and the water element. You know, they're very dampening, good with the heart. They've historically been used in love and luck magic, but also for healing and wishes, which I think is super sweet. And I, I love the idea of the wishes there too, because it just makes me think of like all the uses they have for children, because thinking about things like wishes as opposed to manifesting always makes me think of like little ones. So I do really love that. They have this very like sweet, the sweetness about them. And this all ties in really neatly again to like the bodily associations. You can add them to sleep sachets, take a drink, just place the sachet under your pillow to help invoke prophetic dreams related to your deepest passions. You could also drink a violet tea to bring on similar effects because it helps with like putting you to sleep. I think a nice violet tea at bedtime would be really lovely. Folklore does say, if you gather the first violet in the spring, your wish will be granted. So get out there, foragers. It's also really good, though, for love and lust magics. Like, hi, Venus, finally going direct. We're here for oh that move. Oh, my God. Thank, Thank God. God. So I love the idea of putting violets in a bath because who doesn't love whole flowers in a bath? Like it's just such a look and so pretty, but I think also adding some essential oils of like lavender or even a lang lang and like patchouli all to a love bath, you know, mm. they're also associated with water. So you can use them to represent water and spells and rituals. And I do, I really like the idea of using these for self-love because they're also strongly associated with healing. And I think a big part of self-love is a healing journey. And since they have these really strong healing properties, I think they're really good allies for shadow work, especially like recovery after doing intensive shadow work, like a strong violet tea, I think, while you're doing some of that work would be really, really nice, even if it's just like the journaling and meditation. They're perfect to use as offerings for Aphrodite and Venus or any deity you're calling on to help you in matters of the heart. And then finally, because candied violets are so tasty, I think they're perfect for like decorations on in bulk or like spring holiday treats to bring in a little bit of that like nod to you know fertility and rejuvenation and love because it's a sexy time of year so my sources today were historycollection.com the herbal academy specifically um emma got me a year-long subscription to the herbarium which has been amazing they have all sorts of different you know monographs on plants in there gardenersworld.com of course cunningham's encyclopedia of magical herbs and the modern witchcraft guide to magical herbs by judy ann knock love it Violence. love 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 um I, but i i would also just add that like violet is one of my favorite smells and yeah. i love i love like violet liqueur yeah it's like creme de violette is delicious and oh, yeah. amazing 
And Eric got this gift um, like two years ago from their grandma. It was, it's this book on cocktails that are paired to different records. And of mm. course there's creme de violette in the purple rain record cocktail. Love it. Yeah. Icon. Totally. Speaking of icons, uh, this is this is a Sabbath episode. It is. So we're doing Iconique. we're doing in bulk part two, electric boogaloo. Um, but no, you guys. So for this round of Sabbath episodes, we're talking a little bit more about the history of the Sabbaths, and I am just so pleased for the in bulk one because there's it's it's an original Celtic holiday like this is not Mabon this is not a um revival holiday from the 1970s just filling the spot like this is the real deal and actually the way modern witches celebrate and a lot of the symbolism that we use is really in line with the original Sabbath so it's like yeah I think we've We've covered it before, but you can always remember like the Celtic ones. So there's like Samhain, Imbolg, Beltane, and Lunasa. So the cross quarters are the Celtic holidays and the others are the more Anglican. But I think Imbolg is like, yeah, this is one that goes way back. And there are even, they have rock formations and stuff that are oh yeah the the, the, the passage tombs yeah. um so you know it's like and we talk about we've talked about this for the beltane episode we talked about this for the Samhain episode but for those of you that are just listening to episode 68 as your first episode of wands and fronds welcome to you uh but passage tombs basically uh if you think i mean obviously if you think of something like stonehenge uh lined up with a couple of different Mm -hmm. uh celestial occurrences in the sky and so when you look at these passage tombs uh there's certain formations of rock in in these passage tombs um that line up with either sunrise or sunset on these sabbath holidays so we know Uh, that craig nadoon if you're an outlander fan (laughs) oh yeah um we like it it's un it's untouched from its original form and the vibe is is very kind of uh virgo-y energy very earthy energy yeah. uh I, I like that about lunasa as well um so what is Imbolc? so Imbolc falls uh now on the first and second of february so it's a it's a two-dayer you know that that classic uh celtic day format where it's sunset to sunset yeah it, um is the day so uh this does start sunset on the first ends at sunset on the second and actually we talked about when we were talking about the uh Kaliak, uh how february 1st is sort of like also celtic pagan groundhog day because yeah. if it's if it's a if it's bad weather on imbolg then the Kaliak has uh taken the day is taking the day off uh and she's not going to go gather wood uh, and so it's going to summer, you know, it's going to winter will end soon. But if it's a nice day, then the Kaliak is out gathering wood. And so should you, because it's going to be a long one. It's going to be a longer than usual winter. Um, so we and we do love that for her. And but it falls midway between the winter solstice 
and the spring equinox. Uh, and actually, to the original celebrants of this holiday, uh, it was all about rounding that corner in the middle of winter. So we're getting closer to spring. We are past the middle point of winter, and spring spring is is coming. Uh, and so the original Gaelic word for imbolc, uh, the imbolc itself means in the belly, but the original holiday name, which I'm not going to pronounce because you guys, like I always fuck up the Celtic, but uh, it's it's ewe's milk. So you can even kind of hear the similarity in English, like use milk, imbolc, um, you know, like if you smush it together, really anything sounds Celtic. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it's But it's all about, when the sheep are giving birth. And so talking about the history of the Sabbath, uh, it actually could happen anywhere between the middle of January and the middle of February, because it literally was celebrated around when the first baby lambs were, would have been born. And baby lambs being born is a sure sign that spring is around the corner. Yeah, um, baby lambs scream spring. It's such spring energy. And it's like, you know, I, I, co-opted by Christians, obviously, like there's so much lamb energy around Easter, um, which, you know, would be celebrated more around Ostara time. But Imbolc is like the OG lamb holiday, like Ostara could never. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so in the belly, we're talking about pregnant livestock. We're talking about fertility, which, you know, it's like the fertility of the land coming back in spring. The, the sheep uh, is such a good symbol for that, too. And the, the sheep are very important when we're talking about in bulk history, because even though, you know, it's like it's like we celebrate it February 1st. It's like they would have celebrated it when the sheep were coming. But that's not but the sheep are not the whole story, because the original in the original in bulk episode, uh, we also kind of get into Bridget, which Shannon is doing a whole thing on Bridget today. So I'm just going to like full stop and like let you do your thing. But Bridget famously uh, is a goddess tied to fertility and also famously has this uh, maiden mother crone aspect, um, which we do talk about with other goddesses as well, which is, you know, such a good metaphor for like the seasons of life mirroring the seasons of nature. Um, and so that's kind of how Bridget gets tied into this as this representation, not only of the fertility returning to the land and the fire of the sun coming back. It's also this like time to think about, you know, the stages of, of life in general. And so, you know, it's like, we're, but we're doing a whole thing on Bridget so we're just like literally, psh, we'll talk about it later. Um, but also to so the original Celtic in bulk, though, it was this, which it, kind of what I was saying about having big Virgo energy, it's this, it's not spring cleaning. It's planning your spring cleaning, which very much feels like big Virgo energy. And um, it's also, it's so we're with other, the other three big, Celtic Sabbaths, it's the bonfire holidays, right? Well, because Imbolc is sort of in the dead of winter, this is like a hearth fire holiday. Yeah. And uh, also that, you know, sort of the, the Christianized other, I mean, the, so there's like two Christianized versions. 
of Imbolc, which is St. Bridget's Day, which could not be more of a cop-out of, like, a Christianized pagan holiday. Like, <laughs> yeah. literally copy and paste. But um, also candle moths, which <laughs> sounds so much cooler than it is. Imbolc is, is a hearth fire holiday. It's all about this, this kind of planning that takes place because you know these people were farmers these people were shepherds um livestock obviously is a big deal but it's also like we're planning what crops we're going to be planting in the spring we're like planning the social aspects of the year because the celtics famously were always lived in a bunch of little kingdoms that were always at war with each other and in winter that was when they kind of got a break from it yeah so diplomacy is not happening war is not happening i mean we're hunkering down (laughs) we're hunkering down um and so it's like you but in bulk is kind of the time to start thinking about these things again because it's around the corner like you're about to have to start going back to warfare going back to farming going back to diplomacy and doing business. So it's like, you know, it's it's almost like a cosmic tax season too. Yeah, it's kind of like a catch-up season. And I'm just like going to pop in here to say something I just started literally this week because this is always the time of year when I do this. I literally have a planner that's like a 13-week planner for like big bucket stuff you want to get done. And I have like, there's three big goals that you do in this planner. And like one of mine is just stuff for the house. So it's like, getting house projects finished, doing some like cleaning, breaking up my spring cleaning by like weekly tasks for the next 13 weeks, which is I know so Virgo, but I like doing it this way because I prefer using like that kind of embolg energy to plan it out. So I'm also not doing it all at once because then I feel like it gets really overwhelming. But like this weekend I cleaned the rugs, you know, it's like, that's, I feel like it's such in bulk energy. <laughs> it, it really is. So it's like, it's, it's, we're planning out our spring cleaning. We're planning out our crops for the year. We're getting ready to go back into the world. And frankly, we're probably like plotting the death of uh, our furniture uh, because I, there's this kind of idea that like you've spent all of this time inside over the winter. So you're just fucking sick of your own house. And that is why spring cleaning is so important. Because you've literally been like staring at everything all winter. Oh yeah, uh, and you're it's done. Nice. And you're, you're done. getting like you're getting it all out of the way. So by the time summer rolls around, it can just be sexy fun. Sexy fun. Sexy fun. Yes. Yeah, you've taken care of the administrative stuff in the spring. <laughs> yes, we you know we do kind of talk about Celtic in bulk a lot in the first in bulk episode. So I would encourage yeah. you guys. If this is the first episode you're listening to, again, welcome, but go back and check that one out. But one of the things I did want to talk about in this episode, too, because the Celtic world was not the whole world. Uh, And so there's certainly other places we can look at the history of these kind of like February between the equinox and the solstice celebrations. Uh, And they all kind of have this similar theme, too, which I love. Um, so if we look at Rome, ancient Rome, February 15th is the Lupercalia, which is the holiday celebrating the founding of Rome. And if you think there's not going to be sheep involved, you're fucking wrong. Okay. Yeah. Because 
So for those of you who do not know, the founding of Rome, in the myth, there's two brothers, Romulus and Remus, who were sentenced to death by their uncle because he saw them as a threat. But one of the uncle's servants, right, send them down the river in a basket, which doesn't that sound very familiar. I think I've read that somewhere. In some famous book, there's also a character that gets sent down a river in a basket. But instead of being raised by the pharaoh, spoiler alert to those of you who have never read the Bible, um, <laughs> Romulus and Remus get raised, their their basket washes up uh, in a fig tree on Palatine Hill in Rome. So, yes. And they were raised by a wolf. Love it, right? Um, and then they go on to found Rome. They were... I guess they were found by a wolf. They were taken care of by a wolf. But then they were found by a shepherd. Ding, 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 ding. And uh, so the holiday, the Lupercalia, celebrates fertility by making offerings to this mother wolf. Um, And so you could, you know, the Romans kind of saw it as if you made these fertility offerings during the Lupercalia, it was good for your own personal fertility. So they would sacrifice three male goats and a dog is the traditional Lupercalia sacrifice. Yeah. And I'll have to link in the description because I think you covered Lupercalia like in depth, like last Valentine's Day. You know, I, I, we should uh, definitely like check on that, but if we did, yes. Yeah. I think, I think we, either you covered it as a topic or like you just like get more into it. So I'm just saying I'll link to it too. So there's like, they can also listen to that episode. Yes. So, so Lupercalia, three goats and a dog. Uh, which is, is so sad. Is the traditional sacrifice, but also milk, which uh, kind of circling back around to Imbo, or, you know, the, the Celtic February holiday, sheep's milk is a big, yeah. is a big thing to like put on your altar to offer in your hearth fire. Um, which, you know, sheep's milk, famously, you cannot buy at the grocery store anymore. So for those of you who are very serious about setting up an in-bulk altar or doing an in-bulk dinner, uh, I do want to remind you that Manchego cheese is right there. Yeah. And there's, you can, there's really good sheep's milk cheese, too, that you can find. You can't find sheep's milk, but you can often you can find not cheeses. Buy, you cannot buy sheep's milk. Yeah. No, no, no. But, but you can buy sheep's milk cheese. You can buy sheep's milk cheese at almost <laughs> any grocery store. So that's a hot tip for you. Um, but no, so we're, you know, it's like they would make offerings of goats and dogs and milk um, and also celebrate this kind of shepherding culture. And it was a fertility holiday. Um, which is, you know, they, they think that Valentine's day is, I mean, obviously Christians just steal everything, but like Valentine's day as like a love holiday as like a kind of a fertility holiday. Like we've kind of stripped it of all of its meaning, but it's like more about like Valentine's day cards and monogamy, as opposed to like fucking in pools of blood in the forest, uh, which... which, yeah, I, Lupercalia, very bloody, very lots of orgies. Yeah. And I don't know if she's released it yet or if she will, but I know that friend of the podcast, 
Shannon, who runs Hacks and Wolf Jewelry, has mentioned that she's thinking about doing some Lupercalia jewelry this year. Oh, yeah. Obviously, with with Wolf in her name, or Wolf in all of her uh, online handles is... um, Perfect. It's perfect. Perfect perfect for Lupercalia. Um, so, So, yeah, it's like very bloody, very fucky. And then we also, uh, I also wanted to talk about, because it's it's just like another similarly themed kind of festival or a celebration, is the Festival of Newt in ancient Egypt. So, um, spelled nut, but I just like, I could not keep a straight face and say Festival of Nut. Um, the Festival of Nut? nut. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds like something that frat boys would celebrate with beer pong. But it's so dumb because it kind of, is also the festival of nut because it no because um so famously newt gives birth to the world after copulating with the sun god ra so newt is the night sky for those of you who don't know goddess of the night sky so um, kind of makes sense like a celestial origin story very, very cool, very spacey. And um, Newt, actually, I do love because you always see her in the hieroglyphs uh, with the with the wings or like the, the yeah. wear, wearing the cloak that looks like wings because kind of the idea is that she would like stretch. Oh, her body is like stretched over the world. And like what we're seeing is like her her cloak. Yeah. This like starry cloak and, and these like wings. And so you always see her as a hieroglyph with the, with the big wings. She is like fashion, honey. Oh, it's it's fashion, you know, she she cinched for the gods. Okay. <laughs> but, Violet uh, Chachki could never. But because of, of her role in like giving birth to the world, her festival, which also takes place in early to mid-February, hello, um, also has a lot to do with fertility with nutting with nutting um (laughs) so we we don't we don't get the sheep we do not get the the sheep reference for the egyptian february holiday uh but we do get that that fertility and uh kind of like family planning i think is a good way yeah i like that and i i love too that you bring up newt because bridget is often referred to as having a lot of aspects of Isis. So I think it's a good reminder that there's a lot of Egyptian influence in some of the Celtic mythology as well. We don't always necessarily make the connection as directly as we do with like Greek and Roman, but there's still a lot of it there in Celtic stuff. And it's it's like, I, I think what I find interesting when I'm reading about the history of the Sabbaths is the similarities of theme. It's like, the different versions of the holidays around this time are, are devoted to different gods and different events and different myths. But the themes for this time of year are kind of holding true yeah, all the way back. People so, get horny come Feb. People get horny in February. But um, in more, again, so- but I just I, I do want to remind everybody that I'm pretty sure it's still a Scorpio plot. Like, oh, this yeah. is all a Scorpio oh, conspiracy. Yeah. The fucky holidays in February. Scorpios, we see you. We've, un, like, we have unpacked your entire conspiracy to create more of you. So. But, um, you know, kind of circling back around to 
to Imbolc as the Celts would have celebrated it. Um, this would be a good time, you know, to do stuff with oat straw, which we we do have a, a segment about oat straw. There's because, oat you know, straw in here. You can kind of see it in my tea for the day. Love that. Um, but so they would use like leaves or like oat reeds uh, to make uh, Bridget dollies uh, to for, to celebrate. Also using like grass to make a, a Bridget's cross. Yeah, or the Bridget's bed. Bridget's beds are really cute. Oh my too. god, yes. Uh, so so Bridget's bed. Uh, if you do the Bridget dolly thing, which you can also use corn husk, uh, corn oats. You know, it's like all about these like winter grain staples because. Yeah grains are a staple of wintertime eating and it's like you know even today it's like i love a barley and vegetable soup oh my god barley is barley is also really underappreciated but Uh, oh yeah um but so if you're doing the bridget dolly thing and you really want to connect all the way back to the roots of imbolc as a sabbat um they do a bridget's bed which is a basket or even a bowl of white, traditionally they're white flowers. And um, you would have your your little dolly of Bridget in, and then little kids would kind of go around with the Bridget's bed and get little gifts. You would give little gifts to Bridget uh, in her her little flower bed. Easter baskets. Oh, what? God damn it, Christians. They just take everything and make it less fun. (laughs) Take everything, (laughs) they make it less fun. So yeah, you know, it's like, and honestly, it's like Easter, like spring is already nice. Yeah. Imbolc kind of makes more sense to have this like very cute tradition that's like fun for the kids because it is like the dead of winter and they're, you know what I mean? They're probably driving them fucking nuts by now because they've been inside all winter and they're just like, oh my God. Go away for a while, children. It's finally oh cold. It's not so cold that you'll die outside. Go fucking carry your basket around and ask people for presents. Get out of my hair, is what I imagine. Yeah, and it's like Easter is not that time. It's like Easter is nice. So it's like, it kind of, to me, it makes more sense. Oh my God. You keep this going. Guy. I'm going to grab a photo. I have a, a picture of me in an Easter outfit that I feel like I should have pulled for this. Oh my God, Ab- absolutely. Please go ahead. <laughs> but no, so... We're talking about Imbolc. We're talking about kind of connecting to the roots of the holiday. And an, another very interesting thing to note here, uh, since we did talk about the Kaliak recently as well, um, is that one of the things that you would do for this Sabbath is sort of taunt the Kaliak. Uh, and one of the, the things that I saw that I loved was like this chant that was sort of like a nicer way of saying like like you would gather around a big pile of snow and like chant at it to go away uh it was something like the fires of spring are returning go back where you came from evil snow bitch or something like that um and oh my goodness look at that 90s realness but also the easter there's bunnies there's, there's matching costumes. There's 90s bangs. There's 90s bangs. There's bunnies. We're, we're living. Um, I, I also love that it's like a tracksuit. Yeah. 
because everything was like a tracksuit. <laughs> everything in the 90s was a tracksuit. It's like a tracksuit, track but with a skirt. Oh, okay. I see. Oh, I see. I see. I see you. Sorry, I was getting getting a little bit of a little bit of the reflection. Yeah. So we have Virgo child, Aquarius baby. Look at this Sagittarius sun, Leo moon face she's making. Oh my God, Morgan. Big fire energy. Anyway, big sorry, fire. I was energy. like, I feel like that's so appropriate for like an Easter conversation. But no, speaking of like fire sign energy though. Uh, and fire in general, like there, there was this tradition of taunting the snow and like basically telling it to go away, which I do love. Yes, um, and Aries made that up. And Aries made that up, but also I'm like taunting the snow, like bring that back, because I, I do, I just, I just think it's funny, like taunting a pile of snow, um, right? Like fuck off, snow. Uh, More bunnies. Wow. Easter. Easter, we love it. Also, uh, famously as an Aries, my birthday always fell around Easter. Um, Which feels like another reason that an Aries kid would be like, fuck off, Snow. I want to be able to party for my birthday. Fuck off, Snow. I want to party. And eat chocolate. But okay, but I did did love uh, that I would get all the Easter candy. Oh my God. Easter, okay. The... Chocolate filled Cadbury eggs. Uh huh. Yes. Are my favorite. But also in the play that Nick and I wrote, that I feel like mild sidebar, we have a copy of Silent Laughter now. The play. Oh my God. Yes. That Nick and I wrote in eighth grade. So at some point, we're going to have to do like a reading or something for our Patreon. But there is a child in that that is addicted to peeps. Yeah. Addicted to peeps. Also, speaking of Easter, uh, there is a chorus of pink bunnies. Um, because famously, we did have to include a part for all of the students in the class, not just ourselves, uh, which, anywho, so we, so we did kind of take the cheaters way out and have an undetermined amount of chorus members in the pink bunny chorus. It's really just practical though, when you remember that not everybody is equally talented in a middle school theater class. It's true. (laughs) And I do, I do kind of think about those people that we were in that class with where it's like, even though they weren't talented, like my God, some of them just, they tried and were they did so, their best. and were so brave for trying. And like, I don't know, I, I forget that one girl's name, but it's like, she was really shy and kind of like, like dumb in a sweet way, you know? I think I'm going to have to bleep this out, but are you talking about? Oh my God, no, but like similar vibes. Okay. Uh, I think her name was Ashley. Weren't they but, all? But, anyway. but yeah, but yeah, it's like, you know, kind of like how she like came out of her shell by doing theater. And it's like, that's yeah. iconic. But we're talking about Inbolg. We're talking about the Celtic Sabbath. So yeah, this is not a bonfire Sabbath. This is a good feasting Sabbath. I feel like hearty soups, stews, uh, lamb stew really feels like on the nose for this one Oro Stara. Uh, yeah, because, I, be- I love lamb stew. I, I usually make a lamb stew on Easter and a lamb stew on Samhain because at Samhain, I'm doing it for the family tie-in. But at yeah. Easter, it's because you eat lamb with mint at Easter. But I'm also like hearty soups. Feels very in bulk. Uh, spring is coming. I, I, you know, I feel like leeks and like anything that has that quality of like shoots would mm-hmm. be good. Also, like leeks are a great winter vegetable. 
Shout out to Leeks. Shout out to Parsnips. Shout out to Carrot Top, uh, Carrot Tops, and making a Carrot Top pesto. Oh yeah. So it's like you know now is like peak winter veg season. Uh, but I you know I do kind of like that idea of like you know think thinking about how how things look in a way where you know it's like like leeks have that kind of like shoots mm-hmm. they seem like shoots I, I also love like scallions and chives and they all kind of like look like shoots of, yeah. of other things I have green onions that should have died a long time ago that are still going that produce like that thick green onion goodness and mm-hmm. they're like probably about a foot and a half tall right now, but I do love that. It's like, you can imagine them coming up through the snow almost. It's the oh, reason yeah. I like carrot top this time of year, because it's like, you get that kind of like fluffy leaves that also mm. make me think of spring. Yes. And I, I think it's about finding, yeah, it's like winter veg that gives you that hint of spring vibe. Yes. Um, but, but, you know, kind of like, again, looking at the history of it, in bulk is one of my favorites because it really just has not changed. It yeah. hasn't changed. So get your planners out, you know, make a hearty meal. Uh, oh, so kind of go, kind of going back to, to Candlemas though. So one of the things w- where it's a, like a hearth fire Sabbath is that even if you couldn't have a fire lit in every room in your house, you definitely would want to have a candle lit in every room in your house. Yeah. So, because it is all about like that fire of spring returning. Um, so, you know, it's like, get get your candles out, do some planning. You know, if you're a warrior, it's time to get your sword out, back out, you know, after Put being on inside. Your- Put on your pastel tracksuit, tease your bangs. We're going outside. We're going outside. <laughs> it's, I mean, not to be that guy, but it's also like juniper berry season. Yeah. So, so I feel like any preparations of juniper berry are also going to be like very appropriate at this time. And I also just love that idea of like, like if you did live some, I mean, all of my juniper berries in my neighborhood are just like on the ground right now. Um, which we love. Uh, it's a, it's you know an easy forageable moment, but I if you did live somewhere cold, it's like you know kind of like that that dusty blue color on the snow feels very like in bulk. Um, yeah, this is also like as the ground is starting to thaw, a great time to like it's almost time to harvest roots too because it's before all of the nutrients get pushed up for like the late spring and summer blossoming. So it's like, as it's thawing too, it's like, yeah, get out that like dandelion root and use that in your stew. You know, there's all sorts of good goodies for this time of year that like it's, it's transitional, but it's like the optimistic transition because it's from dark to light. It's Yeah. It's like the, the darkness is almost over, y'all. Like, we made it. We made it through. We did not starve this we winter. We did Go not team. starve this winter. Go team. <laughs> um, I, I think it's funny when we had goats, we had our baby goat this time of year, too. Like, that just feels very correct. Yeah, I love um, that. So, you guys, yeah, in bulk, in bulk through the ages. Also, I'm like really getting into Egyptian history. I've been watching so many videos on ancient Egypt. Like those people were fucking insane. I love it. 
I'm here for it. Well, before we transition into talking about Bridget, which is really going to be like kind of a continuation of the Imbolc conversation, we're going to take a quick break for our plugs. So rate, review, subscribe. Um, it's If you want to like super support us, joining our Patreon is awesome. You get to see like videos of us. We do bonus content. Y'all are going to get two bonus episodes in February because we missed January because, you know, we had illness in the family. covid COVID, COVID is coming for us all through off, through off shit. But if you can't afford to join the Patreon or you want to support us for free rating, reviewing, subscribing, like that's, it costs you nothing, but it makes a big difference for us. Tag and us on Instagram. And y'all, it is, it, you do not have the cop out anymore of not having the option on Spotify. You can rate and review on Spotify now. So I better see some rates and reviews coming in. Yeah, we really appreciate it, guys. Um, Or I will taunt you like a pile of snow. (laughs) So you can listen, like you can check us out on Instagram at Wands and Franz Pod. You can email us, wandsandfranzpod at gmail.com. You can reach out to us um, through Instagram Messenger if you want to like tag us and let us know so Nick can do a free one card reading for you. We also have a Facebook page that is sometimes oh, it's, it's coming things. together it's coming I'm, together. I'm doing my best i'm not good at facebook but you can also find us it's wands and fronds podcast on facebook if you want to like get in there if if people are interested in starting a facebook community i would be super down i think that would make it easier for me to be on there more so if any of y'all are interested in that like let us know i know some people love their facebook groups like we could get that going See, and, and it's like that's what i do a lot on facebook like i pretty much have I mean, I'm on, it's like, I'm on there to talk to my family or like to have the option to talk to my family, but like, really I have all of them muted and I just have like my, my groups and pages that I follow. Yeah. So let us know if y'all are interested in that. We can like help facilitate. Um, if you want to do some more prepping for the year, I am hosting a workshop at the end of February called growing and crafting by the moon. And it's about gardening and like making herbal potions and medicines based on the lunar phases and like the astrology of the moon placements. So you can do that by going to my website, marygoldenmallow.com. If you want to uh, enroll for that, you can use the code wands and fronds at checkout to get 10% off members of our Patreon. I need to post that on there. Y'all get 30% off. Um, it's, it's going to be really fun. The last one was a great time. There's also a green, Witch planner that you can download. It's like 15 bucks and it's a really great virtual planner. A good friend of the podcast has posted pictures of her using it that is on our website. So thank you. Um, but yeah, I think that covers it for plugs unless I'm missing anything. No, um, but I will also say, reach out to us on Instagram. You can send us an email at onceandfrontspod at gmail.com. And we're very open to talking to people who listen. Uh, You know, some some of the the homies from the podcast have become like IRL. IRL. IRL IRL friends. So Yeah, I love uh, all of our friends that we've met through the podcast so far. and, And I would just say, you know, it's like this is a homemade podcast there's not like a pa or a producer or an intern or like anything crazy like it's us when you when you talk to us it's us yeah 
So there's, it's, it, you know, there's no sort of intermediary. Yeah. It's so, really personal. And, We're not going to pull an MFM personal. and fucking sell an ads exclusive right to Amazon, throw in some shade there. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, we love you guys. We do. We just really appreciate you. And above all else, we love hearing from y'all because it's like, yeah. we love you guys. And this is such a passion project and we always want you guys to enjoy what you're hearing. And when you talk to us, like, we can do that more. So anyway, when you, when you talk to us, you're talking to us. You're talking um, to us. So I, if if you want to if you want to dive in to Bridget, I do have to use the bathroom. Yeah. So we're gonna let Nick take a break, but that won't matter for anyone that's just listening. People that are watching <laughs> will see this. We'll see um, this. We'll see me leaving. Goodbye. Yeah. But I'm gonna keep going because editing these things together in the videos can be kind of challenging, and just putting in one transition, y'all. It like. Anyway, so I am really shocked that we hadn't actually already covered Bridget, like I said. So to this day, like Lauren Customs celebrating her really do hang around like more vividly than any Gaelic deity by far. So Bridget is a druidess. She is a goddess and she becomes a Christian saint. She's a lot of badass and like one mythological person. So she's considered a goddess of healers, poets, smiths, childbirth, inspiration of fire and hearth and a war patron. Her soldiers are called brigands which I really do love. So you can kind of see there, I think the big ISIS energy, right? Like she's kind of a deity of a little bit of everything. It's also said wherever Bridget walks, flowers and shamrocks spring up in her footsteps, which is like way better than footprints on a beach. I'm just saying. There are also a few different stories that talk about her like throwing a wet cloak onto a sunbeam to dry, which is like hella convenient and also super badass. But onto her life story. So Bridget, you'll sometimes also hear her referred to as Brig, is the daughter of the Dagda, who is the chief of the gods of the Tuatadanan. And according to some lore, the Morrigan is actually her mother. And Bridget is born with the sunrise and rays of light radiate from her head. And her sister is the Ogma, Ogma, a sun goddess, and the creator of the Ogham, which a lot of people that are familiar with like Irish magic practices are probably familiar with the Ogham. So she has quite the lineage, right? But you might've guessed, uh, this could be an assumption that some of us have, that the Morrigan isn't exactly the most motherly type. So Bridget was suckled by an otherworldly cow and she grew up in the other world tending to an orchard that had bees that would move between like the human world and the other world. And her followers, like she, she loved knowledge so much, like knowledge and inspiration that she set up a school in Kildar where she tended to a sacred group, right? And her followers were in school for 10 years where they learned about healing herbs, taking care of livestock and how to smith. After those 10 years of instruction, they'd spend the next 10 years tending to this sacred grove. And then in the last 10 years of, of their service to Bridget, they would spend it teaching and in the grove in Kildar there's like this ancient oak tree a healing well and her sacred flame and 19 of her followers would tend to this flame and every night like a different one of her followers would watch it and then on the 20th night Bridget herself looks after it so there's a lot of like very otherworldly stuff happening here in the early tales and I think it's like worth a reminder that the Tuatadanan are very strongly tied to fairies. Like the Tuatadanan are 
a god race. They're like very of the other world. The two Dadana and eventually like recede into fairy mounds. So it makes sense that like as the daughter of the Dagda in the Morrigan, you know, the Dagda is the chief of the two Dadanan, that connection to the other world just like really makes sense. So there's also a story of Bridget and two lepers. And so she was really well known for her healing. And so they came to her to ask her to like heal their leprosy. And she told them to bathe one another in her sacred well until their sores were gone. And the first one bathed his companion like very faithfully and the sores disappeared. But then this guy is healed up and he looks at his friend who still has leprosy and he's disgusted and like won't touch or bathe him. And then when Bridget found out about this, she was super pissed. So she struck like asshole with leprosy again. And then she wrapped the other leper in her mantle and cured his disease. And this tie of like her well and healing is where the tradition of like throwing coins into wells comes from. Like that's an honoring to Bridget. So Bridget eventually marries Bray, who is a Fomorian, and this marriage formed an alliance that helped broker peace between the Danu, the like Tuatadanan, and the Fomorians. And together, she and Bray had three sons, Brian, Lucar, and Uar. And it's important before we go into this part about Brian to understand like a little bit more about Celtic family tradition, because I think it really, this story packs a much bigger punch when you understand that. So the Celtic family tradition is matrilineal. So the ancestry is traced through the mother's line. And the most important male in your life is going to be the oldest male kin to your mother, not necessarily your father. So like usually an uncle, not necessarily a grandfather. Again, it's like about the female lines and blood relationships of importance, like really are just through your mom. And that tie is so tight that like, if your mother has a sister, their kids would be seen as siblings instead of as cousins, because it really is about like the women. So in the battle of Moitura, which we've talked about some with the Tua Dadanan, it's like the battle between the Fomorians and the Tua Dadanan. Um, Brian was killed. Her oldest son was killed and her grief and outcries were so intense. And this is said to be like where keening comes from. It's like the first keening like that, that wailing, that song that comes in grief, this was the first time that that was ever heard. And of course, because like the death of her son, it's like, but also it's the fighting, right? Between the maternal and the paternal factions of the family. So it's like the keening is coming from like a deep sadness that's like grief for the death of her son, but even bigger than that, which I think is like, it's just like heartbreaking to think about. And this story is said to be like the beginning of the end of the old ways. So this is kind of like almost like a Celtic version of like original sin, but instead of being sexual in nature, like the original sin is actually like an act against maternal kinship, which is just like, oh, so heartbreaking. But she also, in addition, of course, to being like a patron of war is also a goddess of things like peace. And that's because, you know, you look at like the grief that this caused. And of course she becomes like related to peace as well. But talking about Imbolg and all of like the pastoral motifs, Bridget also has two oxen that are important in a lot of her stories, Fae and Men. And she also possessed the king of boars, Torque, and uh, Torque Triath, and the king of sheep, 
crib. So she's like a guardian of domesticated animals as well, which is like that tie-in to Imbolg there with all of like the baby animals. And eventually the Christians come around and Bridget is like co-opted and morphed into the Christian St. Bridget. And a lot of like St. Bridget's mythology is like pulled from the Celtic tells of I just Bridget. I just love that they took like a a, a goddess figure and were like, um she was a nun. She was a nun. And it is <laughs> interesting because I think in Celtic tradition, more so than like Greek and Roman, the stories about like the Tua de Danan and like their deities are often seen like more as like ancient ancestors as opposed to like totally separate gods and goddesses. But yeah, so the Christians come in and they're just like, yeah, so she was a nun, she was not a nun. your like ancient relative. But I do love that like as a saint, St. Bridget becomes kind of like a hidden icon for the LGBTQ plus community because as a nun and as a saint, she shared her life with another nun in a very like Xena and Gabrielle type mm. way. Like there's and a story. Obviously, so obviously nothing was happening and it was totally platonic. Totally. And it makes sense that it was platonic, especially when you think about the story of a time that St. Bridget caught her like nun, not girlfriend staring at a dude and the nun, not girlfriend was forced to walk on coals as penance. But that's mm. totally something you do with your platonic friends. Yes. So I swear to God, Shannon, if I ever, if I ever caught you chatting someone up, held a Hell to pay. Exactly. Because Literally. That's, that is what, that is how I feel about my platonic friends. Yeah. I don't want you to have anyone else in your <laughs> life. Um, so she, I just, I do love this though. So St. Bridget just does kind of become like a lesbian icon for the LGBTQ plus community, which I always love. So you want to work with Bridget in your practice, right? So you can call on her for like inspiration or healing really any number of things you can think about if it's something you would ask like Minerva or Aphrodite or Minerva or Athena for Bridget is going to be like the Celtic covering of that or Isis. So Bridget is a goddess of hearth. So I think that this is, she's like the perfect deity to set up a small altar in your kitchen too. Like, I just love that idea of doing a Bridget altar in your kitchen. And it doesn't have to be all out because she represents like water with her connection to wells and fire. So I think just like a little candle in a small bowl of water in like a place on your kitchen countertop is like such a pretty small, like nod to her. And of course, if you want to work with her, like get down on Imbolg. Imbolg is Bridget's day. You can light a bonfire to symbolize her or even just a candle if you don't have bonfire access, you know. Uh, you could also use Imbolg if the weather's nice to like take a little journey to a local well to honor Bridget, which I love that idea, like we, a local well actually, or a spring. We talked about this uh, in the episode last year. Yeah. Um, where I have... I. Actually, next time you guys are in town, I do want to take you to my little magical spring. Yeah, I want to see your magical spring. Um, there are also, there's just so much that's associated with Bridget. So I'm going to give you another, like a few ideas of things that you can like add to your craft or to like your emblem decor to honor her. So as far as crystals, you can think about moss agate, which I'm wearing here. Um, garnet, citrine, emerald, like green or like fiery crystals. I also saw um, 
there was like a rainbow quartz was included too. So I think like rainbow things could work really well. The plants that you'll see a lot of times with her, things like red clover, oak, and shamrock. Um, red clover flowers are like red clover, super good for your skin. So you could do like a red clover tea to honor her, like make a picture of red clover tea on Imbolg. Uh, animals include things like cows, crows, sheep, badgers, wolves, horses, swans, and pigs. So things like that are decorated with those animals or like maybe even little stuffed versions of those. I mean, of course you can do things like Bridget's cross, Bridget's bed. Um, for offerings, you can use things like metal because she was a, you know, a goddess of the Smith, blackberries, eggs, coins. You can also, um, some people will leave like food and drink on their doorstep for Bridget's cows, kind of like leaving out milk for Santa, but you leave out little treats for her cows, which I think is super cute. Um, and yeah, that's it. So it's a very abridged covering of Bridget, but it's like thousands of years and she's kind of a huge deal. A, um, a, a Bridget version? <laughs> abridged. Abridged. Um, so my sources today were mythicalireland.com, druidry.org, bardmythologies.com, mythos.fandom.com, otherworldlyoracle.com, and the Irish Mythology Podcast, which is really precious. You guys should check them out. Uh, I love that druidry has, is a dot org. Oh, of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> I they're, love. they're dot organized. <laughs> no, I I love that. And I just what a bad bitch. Right? Yeah. Like, really though. Um, I I I I I like this idea uh of uh her being associated with a badger for some reason. Oh yeah, no, it's like big Hufflepuff energy. And also, I don't know why, but like I, I did recent. I, I'm kind of like watching through a bunch of uh, famous movie making companies movies, and uh, I recently watched Brave. If oh, you're familiar, yeah. and so the whole like when you're talking about like green, like how she's like associated with green. For some reason, I'm just like picturing the the girl from Brave. Oh, as, you mean? As, my friend late like our friend Leighton as a cartoon character. Oh my god, yes. Um, so that's just like who I'm picturing in my head. Yeah. For, it, I for love anyone that. who was wondering. Um, okay, so you guys, it's the bitter end. I hate to say it. And actually, it's kind of one of those where it's like, I feel like Shannon always gets to give out good news, and then I have to do the taroscopes where it's like, honey, it's not good. Um, <laughs> that's the way it balances out i think it helps that we we typically alternate too so at least we're not like one or the other all the time but okay so it's not, but it's not all bad news so for this week's taroscope i drew the seven of cups which is usually a beautiful card uh like the art is always nice um for cancer and so for the seven of cups what again is typically i I, of course, use um, the dragon tarot, so it's a little bit different. But usually with, with the Seven of Cups, you, you have all, all of the cups kind of lined up, and each of them has a, a different thing in it. It's very dreamlike. And one of them uh, in, like, the traditional, like, Rider Waite deck has, like, a rainbow in it. Like, one of them's got, like, a cloud in it. Um, um, the Seven of Cups in my Line Strider tarot is like lemurs holding cups. It's really cute. Cute. But there, there is this very dreamlike quality. And 
sort of the message here is that in your mind, all of you lovely watery cancer babies, you feel like you have all of the options in the world. And to a certain extent you do, and it, it is kind of causing this like dreamlike state, right? Sort of the idea is that you, you, have, you have these options to choose from, but you want to make your choice from a place that is grounded in reality and not dreams. It's like, yes, you could start this thing, but can you realistically finish it? Uh, it's like you could go after a goal or a, you know, a person or a situation, like something that you're really striving for. But it's good. I mean, it's like you don't want to tell someone not to go after their dreams. Like that's hard news to deliver. But at the same time, like you have to be practical. You have to be realistic. In the long run, achieving attainable goals is going to feel like an accomplishment versus failing at impractical goals. Um, so, you know, it's, it's time to like put your feet on the ground and look at things seriously. Like some things are going to sound great on paper, but ultimately you're the person that knows what you're capable of. And you do have to be realistic with yourself. So yes, follow your dreams. Like I'm not here to tell you not to do that. I'm just saying be realistic. Yeah. I think one of the things I also, just to like piggyback here that I often, one of the vibes I get with Seven of Cups that I feel like might be here too, is like also making sure that the dreams that you think are your dreams are really the thing that you actually want. Oh, Because it's yeah. like- Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah- you could have this like weird lofty ideal, but it's like, is that actually what you want? It's like a good inventory moment too, I think. I, you know, I mean, you know, just to like use an example, I feel like a lot of people identify with this where it's like, we've all had a time in our lives where we've been like, I would move, like if you offered me a ticket, I would move to a deserted island. Yeah. Like drop me off, I'm done with people. But really like, would you really like that? Yeah. Would you really like to spend the rest of your life alone? Yeah. It's like, this isn't an impulse dream moment. It's like a, what are the IRL things that you want? And like, yeah. take a step back and like, think about how your life is and the things that would actually long-term make you happy. Yes. So, and this is the know, perfect season for that, to be thinking like really that. It really is. It really is. Like making good practical plans. Yeah. On, on in bulk. Dude, hit us up your resident Virgo here. I'm happy to talk, like chat it out with you. If you're feeling like you're being a little pie in the sky and you want to get down to business. Let's get down to business. To defeat the Huns. Yes. Anyway. Uh, so, but what a, what a lovely episode. Um, and you know, I, I just want to say here at the end, fuck Valentine's day. Fuck it. Fuck Valentine's day. I literally, there's like, two couples that I know of Shannon is in one of them that I'm actually happy for when I see their like couple shit going well uh <laughs> like uh, the rest of you can fuck off and that's <laughs> that's all I have to say yeah Valentine's Day is not it we often watch horror movies on Valentine's Day so cute see this is why this is why yeah. this is why I like 
I like y'all as a couple and I, you know, I guess I like my brother and sister-in-law as a couple, but everyone, no one else gets a pass. Sorry. That's fair. Um, but okay. So what do we say to all these Bridget worshiping in bulk celebrating Celtic ass bitches? To all of you springy Celtic ass bitches. Blessed be bitches. Blessed be you spring bitches. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye now. I always look fucking high if I'm in a candid photo. I mean, oh, to be to be fair, I probably am, but... That's not the point. That's not the point. It's like, you need to be like, hey, I'm taking a photo so I, I can, like, yeah. open my eyes all the way. I have a beauty that moves. I need to be made aware <laughs> that this is happening. <laughs>